It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosie. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosie. Hello there, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com. Sam Watermeyer of the Film Yap, as well as Nouveau News Weekly, is hanging out with me. Hello, Sam. Hey, how you doing? All right. For the record, he is wearing his Foxcatcher wrestling shirt. So... Uh, this show will have a happier ending, I assure you. Uh, it was fun recommending this film to to the co-workers downstairs. And uh, you know, she said, I, I didn't see the film. And it's like, this is one of those you have to see it, but you have to watch something fun and light immediately afterwards to cleanse your palate. So, um, okay, shameless plug out of the way. Get it out of the way. Uh, and it's all, of course, depends on when you're listening to this show. But... Um, the Play Game Show is happening at Scottish Rite Cathedral uh, March 4th, 10th, and 11th at 7.30 p.m. There's a 3 p.m. additional matinee on uh, Saturday the 11th at Scottish Rite Cathedral. You can call 262-3100 for ticket information. And full disclosure, the play is directed by yours truly. Okay. Um, we'll, talk in, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Oscars, even though it's been almost a week later <laughs> later on in the show but i do want to mention we are so now's the time uh there, there's two things happening we the people are watching the oscar winning films to see what all the talk is about and uh, and big kudos congrats to moonlight and uh, the studio has decided to open moonlight up on another thousand screens starting this weekend so and funny enough it's also now out on dvd and blu-ray of course, we're gonna say go for the go for the theater experience first instead of uh, instead of watching it at home. So hopefully you'll be able to do that. But uh, a much anticipated film that's uh, probably not gonna get a lot of awards, maybe for sound. But uh, but the film Logan finally opens in theaters. Um, I I think it was the Onions AV Club who deemed this. It is the this was going to be the unforgiven of the Marvel uh, Marvel stories with uh, Hugh Jackman, 
finalizing his his final performance as Logan slash Wolverine. So you can already tell. I I, I don't think there's going to be any more sequels after this. Uh, <laughs> I, I, reboots, sure. Uh, pre-story, maybe. Younger person playing Wolverine, uh, probably. But uh, but this is it for Hugh Jackman. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's an R-rated film from Marvel. Dear DC. We know you just got an Oscar. Congratulations. But Marvel But Marvel has put out two R-rated films. And the last one did a kajillion dollars and this one's probably going to make a kajillion dollars. Just a note. <laughs> Think about it. Hugs. Marvel. So <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this time around, um, Logan slash Wolverine, he, he is you know older and bearded and burnt out, and he's a limo driver, and he finds out about, uh, and he thinks that he is a part of a dying race. Uh, yes, Dr. Charles is there, and of course, it, because it's Patrick Stewart, and he's in a wheelchair, and I believe David Edelstein said it sounds like he's auditioning for King Lear, um, which I believe Patrick has already played. <laughs> But uh, and they, and we find out that there is a young mutant still around on Earth that has not been it. So it has a little Children of Men feel to it, mm. only uh, more more editing. Um, you know the shot I'm talking about. If you're a fan of Children of Men, that's really cool. But uh, yeah, there's there's a, I, it was funny as I was watching this, I, I remembered there there are theories and counter theories for every film nerd out there, and uh, last month. I talked about uh, the Robert De Niro film, The Comedian, which was it was so so. But there were so many because there were so many mini reunions of De Niro with Billy Crystal, Charles Grodin, Harvey Keitel. You you thought about the the other films those people worked on together, and those films were far more entertaining than uh, than The Comedian. That being said, watching Logan reminded me of a lot of other films. But in a good way, uh, we, we, we bring up the uh, the I brought up Unforgiven as an example where this is this is Logan's last trip. This is, you know, he's he's not uh, he's not of the X-Men of uh, 10 years ago anymore. Uh, Famke Jansen's long gone. But he but he and Charles are going to go out for one more ride. So there's a, there's also a little peck and Paul feel to it. There's there's a scene where the character Patrick Stewart and the, the girl played. Uh, her name is Laura, played by Daphne Keene, her second project. Um, they're watching the Western Shane in a hotel room. So there's elements of Shane. Um, we, we mentioned, you know, Ch- uh, Charles in a wheelchair, something like King Lear. Um, Stephen Merchant's in this film as well as, as an albino who's uh, uh, afraid of the sun, and he's named Caliban for you fans of Shakespeare's The Tempest. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a lot of different reminders. And, and I think Edelstein said, uh, compared it to... Uh, Terminator 2 because it is a chase film um, there there is a mutant that wants the little girl um, Hugh Jackman's promised to take her to up to up to can at least to the border to get her free um, there's kids involved so there's a little bit of Thunderdome Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome which reminds me I got to get to my Mad Max box set <laughs> fairly soon now I think of will st- next week so there's elements that remind you of things but I I have to give the film props because it is an R-rated action film and they don't hold back. Um, you know, we've seen Wolverine cut people up, not like this. It's it's bloody. Um, there is there, you know, uh, 
there there will be young boys that will see this film one way or another. I understand that, but this this is the, a film not for everyone, and and I know a certain faction of folks that have issues with children in peril. There there is that element to it, but I have to give the film props for me, individual of watching this. It does not hold back. Well, it does because otherwise you'd be NC seventeen. But you get what I'm saying as far as how it is a dark world, it is a bleak world, it is a violent world, and uh, and James Mangold, who uh, who's had an impressive career and shows no signs of slowing, slowing down. Films like Copland, Walk the Line. Um, he did do the Wolverine. I believe that was the one with uh, Logan running around Japan. Um, of course, uh, Girl Interrupted. Uh, he did the remake of 310 to Yuma. So anyway, uh, it, it, he I have to give him props. It, and he also co-wrote the screenplay. So if if you are into dark, grown-up, violent action, which really Suicide Squad should have been, and I think Batman versus Superman would have helped if it did, um, th- this is the film for you. I, I really, really enjoyed myself. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to check and see if my teenage daughter actually wants to see this. It's it's that good. So so anyway, that is that is out there right now. Um, now, Sam, I know last week you talked about a you, you talked about a film and it was in was the write up in Nouveau or was that Ed's? I, I apologize. I'm asking um, last week. Uh, get out. I did not review Get Out, but um, I uh, but I did see it, and okay. um, it's uh, I haven't seen Logan yet, so I'd say uh, Get Out is the first really great movie of the year. Ooh, um, a big. Well, for those, that's that's uh, the basically uh, invasion of the body snatchers from a white standpoint. Interesting. Or a black standpoint, I guess. I thought of it as kind of like the Stepford Wives, but with um, black characters as the sort of zombified right. um, uh, people in this kind of utopian uh, community with all white people and a few black people, but they they act strange as if they're under a, a trance. Things are not as they seem. Right. Um, and this was a film, I, I'll get to sorry, but uh, was the number one film last week at the box office. Nice surprise on that. And uh, I, I, am, I am told, need to be seen with a big crowd. Oh, yeah. We actually, I saw it with my girlfriend, and there was a pretty big crowd. And, um you know, people were laughing out loud and and talking at the characters. Um, it's uh, it's a really fun movie and um, you know very original. Uh, you know, like I said, you can liken it to the Stepford Wives or Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but it still feels uh, unique. Smartly um, written, I hear. Yeah, uh, written and directed by Jordan Peele from uh, the comedy duo Key and Peele, um, and it's uh, it has some satirical. It has a satirical edge to it, um, and it's kind of like a I don't know, kind of like a funhouse uh, reflection of um, racism and and. Um, it's I, I would definitely recommend checking that out. To me, it's my it, it's the the best film I've seen this year so far. Which is nice to have. Usually, the first the first three months, four months, really. Well, there's there's January, February. It's we're still 
Oscar contending films are still in theaters, and then there is film. They, the studio's got to put out something. Hmm. So you put out stuff that maybe has been on the shelf for a while, or they just want to get it out of the way. And then now we're post-Oscar season, and there will be a bit of a lull. There will be some new stuff, although Logan, films like Logan and Get Out are the exceptions to that rule. And then we're waiting for summer blockbuster season to happen, which keeps happening earlier and earlier and earlier. So, um, all right, I, I have a question, and I'll, you know, we'll carefully word this. How much of the trailer gives away the film? Um, hmm. Well, I don't know. I thought the trailer did a pretty good job of being somewhat ambiguous. Um, I feel like I've kind of spoiled it a little bit. Um, But I would recommend going in somewhat fresh, not really reading too much about it, because it does have some twists and turns. Um, And, you know, it's... Of course, it's funny coming from Jordan Peele, but it's legitimately intense and scary, too. Um, and, you know, a really sharp kind of biting look at, at racism. Um, Bradley Whitford is uh, the kind of the key racist in the movie. <laughs> Although he says he, you know, his character says, I would have voted Obama for a third term to kind of uh, uh, comfort the the lead actor, um, the lead character who's who's black. Um, it basically starts out as sort of a, a guess who's coming to dinner situation with, um, you know, a young black guy and his white girlfriend. She takes him home to uh, meet her parents. And of course, there's some awkward uh kind of racist exchanges and then it turns into a a full-fledged twilight zone really intense uh horror film. Hey, some of my best friends are, you know. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, there there are films out there. I I I have talked to a few people in the aftermath of the Academy Awards and like I said, we'll we'll get to it a little bit. But yes, I know Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea are are very heavy, and and for some it's going to be a chore to sit through those. So if you want something easier and shorter, although although one one with race relations and the other with a lot of violence, Get Out and Logan are out there for you. So there. <laughs> um, okay, uh, just a couple notes uh, down at IU Cinema, and again this all depends on when you're listening to the show. If you're listening to this on Saturday, great. And if you're listening to this on Monday, well, better late than never. Well, better late than never. Uh, Saturday, March 4th at se- uh, 2 o'clock, you still have time, the 2016 documentary Kitty, and at 7 o'clock, the 2009 drama Fish Tank um, at 7 o'clock. Uh, Sunday, March 5th, Double Exposure 2017. It's the shorts program uh, with silent uh, si- silent films with live accompaniment. That's at 6.30 p.m. Um, s- Monday, March 6th, For the Love of a Man, the 2015 documentary at 7 p.m. On Tuesday, March 7th, Someone to Run With from 2006 at 7 p.m. Thursday, March 9th, uh, the 2016 drama Julieta for, at 6.30 p.m. That's the Pedro Almodovar film. Very good. And then at 9.30 p.m. from 1967, the action film from China, Dragon Inn. And then February, uh, Friday, March 10th, 
at 6.30 p.m. as a part of the China Remix series from 1991, A Brighter Summer Day. And then Saturday, March 11th, ladies and gentlemen, here's a double feature for you. They're separate screenings, but you should go anyway. March 11th at 3 p.m. from 1961, the Elvis comedy Blue Hawaii as a part of the Elvis in Hollywood series. The best of the Elvis in Hawaii two, uh, films, there were two, this one in Paradise Hawaiian style. You don't need to bother with this one. This is one It has Angela Lansbury as his mother. So I think Angie was, what, probably eight, nine when she had Elvis. And I always tell the story, I, yes, I'm the one that has seen every Elvis film in my house. My daughter's seen a majority of them. And uh, Elvis is a is the son of a, of a wealthy businessman and he but he wants to strike it out on his own like every other Elvis musical in the 60s but um but Angela Lansbury comes out in her first scene and my wife was working in the living room at the time and she kind of stopped and paid attention a little bit and then her scene got over and my wife says even Angela Lansbury can't make this crap sound good <laughs> but anyway that is that is 1961 at three o'clock and then at 6:30 p.m. as a part of the Scorsese's Men of Faith series George Harrison living in the material world the 2011 documentary that was originally on HBO um, anyway those are happening over at IU. Over at the Artcraft Theater in Franklin, of course, happening right now, I believe, or actually in a little bit, uh, the Best of the Fest from the Heartland Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Next Friday, Saturday, Friday and Saturday at 2 and 7.30 p.m., Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Mm-hmm. There's a chance to see something on the big screen. I got to see, you know, gosh, it was 97, I believe. Got to see it on the big screen in Chicago. I know You've seen Vertigo, yes? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I... Sirens out there. Okay. No, they you go back, guys, because Sam has seen Vertigo. It's okay. <laughs> um but yes. Um great film, of course, with Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak. I will say this. Don't know if it's a first date film. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that's a that's that's it. You've shown the girlfriend uh, Vertigo? Uh I have not, not yet. And how long have you been a couple, if I may ask? Uh, a little over a year now. Yeah, you can show her vertigo now. I would say <laughs> first month, eh, not so much. But uh, okay, I, I, I'm now going. What's the freakiest film you've shown her? That, oh. that you have shown her, not that she has picked. Yeah. Hmm. Probably uh, Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> the first Hellraiser. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Vertigo is happening next Friday and Saturday evening at 2 and 7.30 p.m., March 17th and 18th, and apparently they're showing all three endings, Clue on the 17th and 18th, the 24th and 25th, The Philadelphia Story, and then April 7th and 8th is the Tim Burton Film Festival. I can't wait for this. Now check this out, uh, 7.30 p.m. on Friday, April 7th, Nightmare Before Christmas, at 10 p.m. on Friday the 7th, Batman. And then Saturday the 8th at 3 o'clock, Corpse Bride, Pee-wee's Big Adventure at 5, Beetlejuice at 7.30, Mars Attacks at 10. I'm taking my girlfriend Jen to see Batman on the big screen. Uh, she's never seen it before. so Oh, good good. Good choice. Yeah. She, she, has she seen the, any other Batman configuration? Uh, she's seen the the Chris, uh, Christopher Nolan ones, um, and my favorite are the the first two with you know Tim Michael Burton. Keaton. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, 
I it was um see that was summer of 1989 I'm not asking um <laughs> I was 18 19 and it was one of those I remember I had I think we were two hours to the, to the theater in advance to get mm. tickets for that oh back, wow back in the day so um and then of course April 14th and 15th showboat that's pretty good and then April 21st all ages are welcome but uh the notebook they're doing a real R-E-E-L, Real Women Vintage Wine Series. Um, I, I have a feeling my smarter two-thirds might be going to that one. We shall see. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, you're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Sam Watermeyer is hanging out with me of the film yet. Um, a few titles that we, uh, we've we alluded to a little bit on uh, DVD and Blu-ray the the big one is Moonlight, which of course won Best Picture. Yeah, we'll get to it, maybe. Um, but the 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 announcement earlier this week, in lieu of it winning Best Picture, is that it's been re released in theaters on a thousand screens nationwide. So go to go to the website of your favorite movie theater chain, or or even better if it's an individual and see if it's out there. Um, we we highly recommend seeing it in the theater before renting it. Um, I was at Logan this at the morning of the this recording, and uh, there were six women all going to see Moonlight at 10 a.m. Oh wow! And now normally when I go see a film Friday mornings because I've been busy at night, I've you know been rehearsing this play or I couldn't make the morning screenings. First thing in Friday morning, I will go and I will hang out with a group I affectionately call the old, the unemployed, and the weird. <laughs> And these ladies, so they were they were all there to see Moonlight at 10 a.m. Oh wow. wow, that's a hell of a way to start your day. That is a hell of a way to start the day. So um, hopefully their lunch was good too. So, but anyway, that is out on video. Um, a film that I personally voted for for best visual effects and did not win. Of course, that went to the Jungle Book. But Doctor Strange is now on video. Um, for my money, the coolest looking of the Marvel films. Um, a almost times a kaleidoscope. Uh, there, there were inception-like looks as far as scope and twist, and and at the very least, a very fun performance from Benedict Cumberbatch, who now gets Marvel money. We like we love we like Benedict. We also know that he can do stuff like this and get Marvel money, and then he can go do Hamlet on stage in London. We're all in my house. We're all for that. <laughs> one for the studio, one for yourself. Also out on video is Allied, uh, Robert Zemeckis's attempt at making uh, an R-rated World War II drama, a '40s kind of a '40s melodrama, and it, it's really well done. I I really enjoyed it. It's uh, Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard. They are spies who wind up getting married, and of course, halfway through the film, we find out that uh, his wife may or may not be a German spy. And uh, the question is, will he or won't he? The first, it, it looks great. They look great. Um, This film reminds me, this might be a fun double feature with Hacksaw Ridge because they are two films set in the 40s, and they want to have a mixture of the old-fashioned storytelling with some R-rated stuff in it. Um, Hacksaw Ridge, I I have always called Mel Gibson's Sergeant York. Um, It is a 40s war story, but it's also bloody as hell. In this one, you have really good-looking people doing spy stuff, um, but you also have uh, – I will say this. It's a film that some of the symbolism that happens in the film that that is usually eye-rolling, and it is Robert Zemeckis. This is the man that gave us Forrest Gump. But uh, but there's a, there's a fairly intense car scene with our two leads. 
I'm sure Angelina was not thrilled. But but the fact that they're doing this in a car in a huge CGI sandstorm and that there is the birth of a child outside as war is surrounding them. Mm-hmm. Can you hear the capital letters in my voice when I describe this? <laughs> Those are probably the biggest cornball moments, and I was okay with that. You you did see Allied? I did. Um, actually, the sandstorm part kind of reminded me of uh, the English Patient a little bit. Yeah, there was there's some. Yeah, it's good looking people bumping uglies in the <laughs> desert. So um, now, yeah, that's an interesting duo as well. Um, I liked it a lot. I thought uh, I enjoyed it as kind of an old fashioned, um, you know, spy drama. It, it has uh, notes of. Casablanca in there, yeah, and and yes, they do bring up Casablanca with no winks or nods. But there, there is a, a especially early on when the two characters meet, they're they're both on a on a mission, and of course they talk about having to pose as a couple, and and you know we have the recurring theme on what is what is play acting and what is real, especially when you have two dashingly good looking spies involved. <laughs> um. Yeah, and and you know the the will he won't he conflict is is really suspenseful, and um, you know it, I I think it's just uh, it, it's a good piece of escapism. Yep. Um, I really enjoyed it. I you know I'm not in love with it or anything, but it's uh, it's it's a solid piece of entertainment. Yeah, it is a solid piece of entertainment. I I had also picked it to win best costumes, and I was wrong. <laughs> I, I, the technical Technical Awards killed me this year in my annual bet for entertainment purposes only. There's a wager I have with a couple friends. It's none of your business. So <laughs> I, I lost. Uh, okay. Also in theaters, um, Shut In, which is one that we both uh, watched separately. Yeah. This is uh, uh, the thriller starring Naomi Watts. As uh, And, and yeah, I, I could make a film about Naomi Watts as a shut in. It wouldn't be this one. But, <laughs> but she is a psychologist and... Uh, there, there's being stuck in a house, and there's odd, creepy things happening, and it may or may not involve her son who has issues, or does he? Mm. So there, there's it's a different will he, won't he? But it, you know, is it uh, is it a ghost? Is it a killer? Um, and it doesn't really, it didn't build up for me a whole lot. Um, I I wasn't all that suspense filled with it, and once the big plot twist happens. The film couldn't end fast enough for me, and it still kind of goes on a bit. Oliver Platt has the sad role of being uh, the mentor for Naomi Watts's character. And I remember saying when the film came out, it was one of those, I saw it Friday morning with the old employee and the weird, of it, there's a scene of some major cinematic mansplaining <laughs> from Oliver Platt's character. And Without giving away too much, I I just watched it and thought, Naomi Watts is a pretty smart psychologist. She couldn't think of the ending herself. Hmm. I think you kind of know where I'm going here. But yeah. but there's but I think the only reason you know Oliver Platt takes this film because there's some Skype scenes and then there's a there's a big plot point involving his character near the end, and uh, otherwise he wouldn't do it. So that, that that kind of bummed me out a little bit. And then I, I remember doing a whole show about cinematic mansplaining. Uh, a great example is like any man who talks to Jodie Foster in contact. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it could that almost happened in Arrival of any man that has to talk to Amy Adams, and it kind of avoids that. Uh, Sam, your thoughts on, on Shut In? Uh, 
Well, yeah, his character actually bothered me a little bit because he basically insults Naomi Watts throughout the whole movie. Yeah, you know, like, she she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah, it's all in her head. Right, like she confides in him and kind of he sort of serves as her therapist. And whenever she tells him, you know, about these things that are troubling her, he just kind of shrugs them off and says, "Oh, you're being ridiculous." And it's like, "Wow, what a what a great therapist. Yeah. So supportive." Um, but, uh, it shut in felt, um, like one of those crappy January releases. It's been to on me. the shelf for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, uh, I mean, it had me intrigued, but, um, it's, it's kind of, uh, straight to direct TV material. Yeah. Kind of is. And we like Naomi Watson and I, but not this, sorry. <laughs> um, and I guess, well, I, I can assure you folks that what happened at the end of the Oscars, uh, especially the portion involving Warren Beatty and, and Faye Dunaway, I can assure you this was not a tie-in with Warren Beatty's new film, which is now out on video. No, it wasn't It was an elaborate hoax. I'm surprised nobody has written that, that, that Warren Beatty threw Faye Dunaway under the bus to help promote the video release of his film Rules Don't Apply, which <laughs> uh, he wrote and uh, directed and uh, plays Howard Hughes. It's a weird film. Because there's two stories going on. We have uh, Beatty plays, of course, Howard Hughes. This is in set in the late 50s, early 60s. And uh, what happens when he, apparently Hughes had a deal of uh, setting up uh, accommodations for inspiring, aspiring actresses and getting them screen test and, and not really meeting them. Or if he does meet them, he, he does things to and or with them and um and then there's that and then there are the drivers that he hires and of course the drivers aren't supposed to know anything about his work one of the drivers is matthew broderick that's a lot of years driving for howard hughes and the other is everyone's favorite cowboy from uh hail caesar alden enreich um and so there's there's a little bit of a love triangle lily collins plays a new girl in town with her mom uh, annette benning by the way, kudos to Beatty for pulling a lot of favors from a lot of people. Oliver Platt's <laughs> in this. Um, Alec Baldwin shows up briefly. Candace Bergen. Uh, there's a lot of people who have small scenes because they're friends with Warren Beatty. <laughs> and uh, so there's there's this potential of a love triangle between the young man driver and the aspiring actress and old, old Howard, old, crazy Howard Hughes. Um and it kind of it could have gone that way, but it does take a detour as far as Howard Hughes's business practices, which I know it's been over a decade, but I thought we already covered this in Martin Scorsese's film The Aviator. So, and my thought was, if if you didn't see The Aviator ten years ago, who in the mall community is going to go see Warren Beatty's new film now? Um, and and it kind of. I, I just thought a love triangle with these three characters and it had been shorter because this thing is about almost uh, two hours, five minutes. Uh, but if they had just tighten it and made it maybe make it a love triangle that just so happens to be involving Howard Hughes, hmm. that seemed a little more interesting than Aviator Retread with a little bit of a love triangle. So, hmm. um, however, that being said, it's still better than Town and Country. Uh, ta- you know, Town and Country is one of the most expensive uh, box office failures, and it was a comedy. You know, with Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, Gary Shandling, uh, Beatty, of course. Um, and uh, not as good as Bullworth, because I think it was the film he did after that. But anyway, uh, but yeah, every every decade or so, uh, Beatty gives it another shot. Or somebody gives him money to make another shot. And 
and here it is. <laughs> um, that being said, as far as old titles, um, there's one old title of note, and it's a box set, and it's worth checking out if you're into uh, into binge watching. But Criterion has is put out this week the Before Trilogy. Oh wow! Of Richard Linklater's work with uh, Ethan Hawke and Julia Delpy, so you can get in one package: Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and of course Before Midnight. Story of two people. Um, we, we, of course, a couple years ago, uh, Richard Linklater got heaped praise and much deserved for his film Boyhood, is, uh, which followed a, a family through a series of short films in twelve years span. He would record, he would film one or two days with four actors. And including Ethan Hawke, and uh, film with you know uh, one second section at a time for twelve years, um, and it's it's I think it's a it was a wonderful film. I believe it was number two on my list that year. Um, it, there's something to be said about the commitment of working on a project like that. Well, Linklater already did this with Julie Delphi and Ethan Hawke in the in the Before trilogy, and I didn't I think it was that the fact that uh, in Before Sunrise they are two single kids who meet on a train in Vienna and get to know each other. It's, obviously, these are very talky films. And then Before Sunset, it is a reunion, and time has passed. And then, of course, Before Midnight, um, they are now a family. And so anyway, but it, it it's a fascinating character study with these two people. Um, both actors are really good in it, and it's fun to see these three characters evolve in the span of three films. And I'm, and I'm sure there's going to be more of these as time goes on. But uh, if you want to binge watch these, because that's what the kids do these days, they binge watch. Or the late, the people that don't want to leave their home, they, they binge watch. So The shut-ins. Uh, you said it, not me. <laughs> so um, have, you, have you had the, the before experiences? Yes, I have. Um, I saw Before Midnight in the theater. Um, and, uh, obviously the other two just on DVD, but, um, I, I love them a lot. And, uh, it's interesting when I saw Southside with you, the movie about the Obama's first date, I it's thought, kind of yeah, it's like, it's, you know, it's like, uh, before sunrise with the Obamas. So, yeah, I think now it, it is set a precedent that if you have a two person talky film, it is, it is now going to be dubbed before <laughs> fill in the blank. Right. And, uh, and yeah, I know we know about Gus Van Sant and Jerry hmm. also, a, I don't know, before Matt Damon and Casey Affleck do things anyway. <laughs> uh, that is out there as well. Okay, uh, shifting gears a little bit. No, we're not getting to the Oscars yet. Uh, but we are talking about an Oscar winner, uh, Sam Watermeyer from Nuvo and the Film Yap. Uh, first off, I guess you, I, you, I want to, if you could, to uh, bring up the local Oscars that you wrote about, uh, because that deserves more coverage than what has already been discussed on uh, last weekend with the Oscars. <laughs> uh, well, for Nuvo, I decided to. Um... You know, give out the gold trophies to some uh, locally made work. Um, the best picture went to a documentary called The Invisible Patients, which uh, screened at Heartland and the Indie Film Festival. It is about a nurse practitioner, and it follows her to the homes of four patients, all living in um, Evansville. Um, a really poignant documentary um, about kind of the maddening maze of health insurance and, um, you know, at-home care, uh, the the trials and tribulations of, of caregivers. Um, 
really intimate, uh, at points kind of devastating documentary. Um, and then I, I only did the, the five major categories. So I did best picture actor, actress, screenplay and director. Director went to Bobby Easley, a guy who made, uh, this pretty incredible stop motion animated world war two film, uh, with, uh, those little, green plastic army men do they sound like arlie emery <laughs> uh some of them do and actually the cast is made up of uh some some horror icons it uh it has kane hodder the guy behind the jason mask and okay. the friday the 13th films he's one of the soldiers uh or the voice of one of the soldiers it also has um bill mosley who was in uh, The Devil's Rejects and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Um, These are actors that you could see at a horror festival coming to Indy sometime later this year. Right, or, right. Or, it happens at least twice a year. You get the idea. And that's where the director, uh, Bobby Easley, met them and showed them you know, some of the footage, uh, which is pretty incredible. It's, it's stop motion and... Um, you know, it, of course, you can't help but chuckle at first with these little green plastic army men running around. But uh, the the action set pieces are really amazing. And he filmed uh, some of those in his basement. Um, and it, it's just a really great example of, you know, DIY filmmaking. Um, so he was best director. And then... Uh, screenplay went to Scott Shermer for his horror film, uh, Harvest Lake, which is about these, uh, fungal forest creatures that send campers into a sexual trance. Um, it's, uh, it's better than it sounds. No, I'm sorry. Cause I'm just saying we, we have a quota here at NPR saying sexual trance. We only do it once every <laughs> few months. So we've met ours. Thank you. Um, and then best actress went to, uh, someone in another Scott Shermer production, uh, called plank face. I never thought I would give an award to a film called plank face. Um, but, uh, the actress is named Ellie Church, and she's become quite a quite the Hoosier uh, scream queen. Um, she's in a lot of locally made horror films, and um, in this one, she's she plays another camper, and uh, it's actually a surprisingly raw performance. She really makes you feel her fear. Um, and then the best actor was a uh, more lighthearted performance. Uh, Sandy Danto, um, who was in a movie called Funny Fat Guy, which was directed by Ryan Pennington, who's from Indiana. And it's about a kind of wannabe John Belushi comedian um, who uh, basically has all of the problems of uh, John Belushi or Chris Farley type, but, uh, not as much talent. Mm. Um, he, you know, he's a drug addict. He, um, kind of a slob, uh, and he's trying to make it as a comedian. It's a, it's a dark comedy and kind of a look at, uh, you know, trying to make it in Hollywood and, um, he's quite good in it. I think that's, think i hit all the categories there okay. but um yeah and it was you know a few of the filmmakers have 
reached out and uh, they've been appreciative to be noticed and um, you know it's nice to be able to recognize local work like that. Anyway, yes, you can you can go to uh, nouveau.net and check that out. I know it's still on the newsstands mm-hmm. as far as print edition. So yeah, that was very very cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, way to highlight. And, and so I guess does this mean we have films to talk about when we do the uh, Who's Your Heartland Who's Your category at the IFJA? Right. Maybe. So <laughs> um, shifting gears a little bit. Now Sam has been doing a series of films, basically long films. I guess the criteria is they have to be double cassettes. And I know we <laughs> you were on here to talk about Braveheart and The English Patient. And I got really excited because you got to see one of my favorite movie-going experiences. Tell the folks what you watched, finally. I finally watched Lawrence of Arabia, and this is kind of the one that inspired this project. When I first mentioned the idea, it was uh, it that was on the tip of everyone's tongue. They said, oh, you have to see Lawrence of Arabia. Um, it's actually our colleague Nick Rogers' all-time favorite movie, ah. um, and he's the the copy editor for the film Yap. So I was really nervous for him to read my review. Uh, fortunately, he liked it, but um, uh, I finally saw it. It definitely lived up to all the hype. I it's uh, only fifty years old and <laughs> always at the top of some AFI list. So good. <laughs> um, I I wish I had seen it on a big screen. Um, the the visuals are uh mesmerizing especially the introduction of omar sharif yep he starts as a a tiny speck uh, in the distance in the desert and you see him uh approach uh lawrence and you know it's this tiny speck is revealed to be a man and i thought that kind of embodied the overall theme of the movie which is um uh, a seemingly insignificant man becoming this larger than life figure um and of course i'm referring to the lead character uh, t.e lawrence um and he's not your typical uh, uh hero really you you see his uh kind of moral struggles and at one point in the movie he talks about actually enjoying the act of killing and kind of wrestling with it and i felt like that that moment kind of signaled the segue from um old hollywood into new hollywood it also helps that you have a young peter o'toole as opposed to say gary cooper playing that role (laughs) right um but you you know in that moment uh of course it's an old-fashioned epic but i i that kind of intimate uh, moral ambiguity, to me, foreshadowed movies that would come later in the 60s, like Midnight Cowboy, and even into the 70s, like Taxi Driver, these kind of uh, intimate character studies, which I really feel like at the heart of Lawrence of Arabia, of course, it's a great spectacle, but it's also a really intimate character study. And you've mentioned that on a couple of the epics, and I think that's that's a, that's a strong point, is yes, you can make a huge sweeping spectacle uh and of course david lean did that in the last half of his career uh but if you can also balance it out with intimate moments whether it is rafe and uh Kristen scott thomas or even better julia pinocian naveen andrews and the english patient even some intimate moments with mel gibson and a lot of two people scenes happening in braveheart yeah. um yeah absolutely and uh my 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 one of my i mentioned one of my all-time favorite movie going experiences 
summer of 1989, after my freshman year of college, the Fox Theater in Detroit had just gone over a, I think, a couple million dollar renovation. And the Fox Theater is one of those books. It's kind of like the the Paramount and Anderson. We, there, many cities have these. It's an old, was a movie house or a vaudeville house, and then it became like a porn theater and became dilapidated. And then you, you try to revitalize it. And one of the first events that the Fox Theater had in 1989 was a 70-millimeter print of Lawrence of Arabia. And in 1989, I paid $10 to see it, and it was worth every damn penny. There was live organ accompaniment before and during intermission and after. I mean, it was, I'm going to take the word back, huge. I'm (laughs) saying it with an H, not with a Y. But, um, and and because prior to that, I had seen uh, Passage to India, which was Lean's last film. I was 14 when that came out. And I saw it on the big screen, but it was a mall big screen, so mm. not not really that big. <laughs> it was, but not you know bigger than my television, but not like the Fox Theater. So, so yeah, it's one of those. We've talked about places like the Art Craft and IU Cinema. Any chance you can get out of your living room, um, you know, you, you you hopefully have that experience. And yeah, Sam, I hope you get to have that. Hopefully, somebody mm. somewhere will show this on a giant screen, so you can sit in the front row and just be overwhelmed at the spectacle of it. Yeah, I, I really hope that happens. Now, can you tell us what you're going to be reviewing next as far as the series? Um, yeah, I'm hoping to surprise people. I'm going to spice things up a bit and go with Meet Joe Black. Oh. Um, a very good two-hour film. <laughs> Problem is it's three hours. So, no, that's good because I, cause I know last time you were on, I think – I think off the air, I, we were. I know you've been getting uh, lots of titles from uh, from us old guys, and I know pretty much you could do David Lean for the rest of whatever. You can do mm-hmm. Doctor Shivago, Passage to India, Ryan's Daughter. So mm-hmm. anyway, well, good. That that'll be a good mix up. Enjoy Martin Bress's work. So, <laughs> um, okay, uh, shifting gears a little bit, we want to get to uh, dead people we like because we don't have time for dead people we don't like. And uh, I, I, I felt bad because, well, of course, uh, over the weekend, Bill Paxton passed away at the age of 61 too soon. And it was complications uh, due to surgery. And I felt bad because, one, you know, I was like, oh, that kind of bums me out. And then, two, I was like, oh, it's too late for the death montage at the Oscars. But much to the credit of Jennifer Aniston, she did bring it up. Before we got into the footage, and of course this balances out with somebody who was a part of the death montage that's still alive, but uh, we won't get into that. But but Paxton was one of those. You go back and um, you know obviously became noticed. We was kind of that guy in the eighties. Uh, I I had forgotten, and it would require me going back and kind of hitting pause. But you know had an uncredited role in Crazy Mama, played a soldier in Stripes, which. <laughs> I don't think I'm ready to show my daughter yet. Um, you know, was in the Lords of Discipline, which I remember seeing in the theater. But but the kind of then popping up in Streets of Fire, which I believe is getting a Blu-ray release pretty soon, was an Impulse. And for a lot of people, the first thing he was noticing was the punk at the beginning of the Terminator, whose clothes were removed and tried to fight Schwarzenegger. There are a few lost. short cans of a six pack. Very good. Yeah, and and. And Paxton became that guy for uh, you know I was in high school in the eighties so so between that and of course Chet in Weird Science and Private Hudson in Aliens, big lunk headed guy who had great lines, 
Um, and and I hate to admit, I I, uh, I wrote, of course, um, game over, man. This isn't happening. When he passed away, and and but on the flip side, somebody had written, "I will always think of him as Chet in Weird Science." And I, my response was, "The rest of his career says thanks." <laughs> and I mean, that'd be like it would be like the New York Times saying, "Bosom buddies actor Tom Hanks dead at whatever." Um, right. But I was also a part of that kind of thing. But he was also in Commando, well, of course. Uh, Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. He's great as the one of the heavy. Uh, vampires in that next of kin navy seals for you kevin smith fans uh pr- i f- always forget about predator 2 because i don't want to think about predator 2 but but somebody had written you know here's a guy that faced a terminator a predator um oh gosh but you know yeah. that sort of thing and i the thing that in he was also in the dark backward but i think the turn started to happen in the mid early 90s with <laughs> There was a film uh, called One False Move, which I always remember. It's uh, young Billy Bob Thornton who co-wrote it. Um, Carl Franklin's first film as a director. Um, It has a special place in my heart because a Ball State graduate, uh, Cinda Williams, was in it. She played the girlfriend. Hmm. And uh, it was also, also, by the way, One False Move, not a first date film. I learned the hard way. (laughs) I took a date to One False Move, and it was... she asked what the film was about. I honestly didn't know. I just knew a Ball State grad was in it. And it's a drug deal. The very first scene, drug deal gone bad. People are tied up with plastic bags put over their heads. And my date looked at me like I was insane. And <laughs> and Paxton plays a, a sheriff in a small, I believe, Arkansas town where the feds have shown up. And they think that's where the criminals are going to arrive. But that was it was kind of a turning point, I think, for Paxton's career doing that film as opposed and after playing uh you know lunkheads for for some of the 80s he was also in trespass which i still defend walter hill's version of treasure of the sierra madre with both ices and william sadler uh boxing helena indian summer again that's a m- more mature role and then and then he was morgan earp in tombstone <laughs> which uh is something i still want to show my daughter and then start the night the rest of the 90s Became very visible. Films like, of course, True Lies. He's great in Apollo 13. Um, played Frank James. Did Twister. Of course, appeared in Titanic. And I believe, Sam, you, I think you wrote it. And and probably, quite possibly, his best film was him in uh, A Simple Plan. Yeah. Talk about, uh, talk yeah. another, uh, if you if you combine Treasure of the Sierra Madre with Fargo, um, <laughs> you would have this. Directed by Sam Raimi. Backed up by Billy Bob Thornton and Bridget Fonda as Lady Macbeth, basically. Um, this was, uh, you know, two brothers and money is involved and greed is bad. And and uh, and Paxton plays a, a simple guy who just is in way over his head. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's my favorite film of his. Um, but of course, you know, I have sentimental attachment to True Lies. I saw that when I was a kid. But A Simple Plan is great. Um, I think it, uh, his character in that is probably closest to who he seemed to be in real life. He's, you know, a, a genuine everyman, uh, humble, um, kind. Of course, you know, his character in that goes through some pretty some morally murky territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, when you watch that movie, your your heart really aches for him when he's uh, having these moral struggles. Um, 
but I uh, that's his strongest performance for me. And I was actually um, listening to an interview with him today. Uh, he, you know, he's recalling his uh, major roles, and he talked about uh, when they showed Apollo thirteen at the White House. Um, John Glenn was in the audience. And he said uh, during the the launch sequence, uh, he turned and saw John Glenn gripping his armrest <laughs> as if he was reliving uh, his his NASA days. Way to go, Ron Howard! <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, just hearing him talk about that, he he seemed so humble and so grateful for his experiences. Um, and he seems like just uh, such an approachable kind of down to earth guy. Um, and I don't know. I was always happy to see him whenever he popped up in a movie. Never, I've I've not heard any bad stories about him. And we we can go through the myriad of celebrities that are you know, but but you know, no 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 controversies, no 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 Babylon stories about him. But yeah, he shows up, and you're like, even if the film's not great, like he's gonna be fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, even somebody like Club Dread or or Thunderbirds, or you know, good for him if we're doing those. You know, he appeared in Hey. Wire, uh, Million Dollar Arm, which I just showed to my daughter recently, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Nightcrawler, Two Guns, and and I, I I didn't realize because I just saw the trailer for it again this morning, but he he plays May's father in the Circle, which opens in, in a few weeks. So, uh, but yeah, thanks, Bill. Nice work. You've you've you got a thumbprint, whether it's the '80s stuff or your work in a Simple Plan, uh, and we're t- we'll we'll be thinking of you. Nice stuff out there. Okay, um, well, how are the Oscars for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I was thrilled. We have, we have six minutes left, folks. Now we're getting to it. Here you go. It's only been a week. It's all right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was thrilled um, that, you know, my choice for Best Picture uh, winner won. Um, and I also think, you know, maybe they shouldn't have old farts reading the uh the winner or or at least say well look i okay um by the way moonlight was my number three choice number one was la la land i'm okay i'm all right it's it you know it's like good dating pam greer instead of ann margaret or vice versa i mean just um yeah i think maybe i guess it i guess we found out that warren Beatty and and faye dunaway are human because they they didn't in front of a billion people just say um are, are we sure about this <laughs> you know we yes we saw the pictures and yes the wrong way and now we know more about how the envelope procedure happens at the Academy Awards than anybody ever needs to know um guess it'll be tighter next year um yeah so so we, we a hard lesson is learned I had a I had a friend uh another Ball State graduate who wrote about how. Both of these films are now immortalized. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's you're gonna they're gonna be forever linked. And kudos to the La La Land gang for you know taking it in an absolute stride, and we're really good sports. And kudos to the Moonlight people. I, I got to say, on another f- formatted station, you know, there there were a group of people, Ernest Borgnine, who organized a boycott of uh, of Brokeback Mountain a decade ago, mm. and. Uh, didn't happen this time. So, you know, times have changed. The fact that, it, you know, Moonlight is a brave, brave film. 
and tackles the subject matter and goes into a world that you know is not very comfortable for some folks and uh and and i'm glad they got to tell that story they got to tell that story and tell it beautifully Mm -hmm. and now more people are going to be able to see it because of that and they get recognized um I, uh, you know, there there are moments uh, as I look at my ballot where I picked with my head instead of my heart or vice versa, I should say. I mean, I, I thought Denzel would get it this year. Of course, I went to Casey Affleck. Casey, well, it's it's Casey Affleck's probably his best performance and we separate the artist from the art. Um, yeah, uh, it, you know, it was it was a fun evening at my house. Um, you know, I always say about the I'm one that still is there for who's winning. You know who's going to win? Um, I I'm the same guy that watches the Super Bowl for the game. <laughs> I don't need everything else. <laughs> Death montage, yes. Bring back the the you know bring back the the career achievements. I know they acknowledged Jackie Chan and Lin Stalmeyer and the others. Um, Kimmel was fine. Uh, he'll he he probably will take the fall for this and not host again. But but you know half the half the people watching get angry because the host is paid and hired to do what they do best. Mm. That you know that that's what you get, whether it's Letterman or or Ellen or Bob Hope or John. You know, they're they're hired to do what they're best known for, and and that's why they're there. So, but again, it, you know, the monologue was fine. Um, I don't mind it being three four hours long. This is the only award show I really watch, except for the Tonys. Uh, but as far as film stuff, this is the only one I watch. So I don't mind taking the time. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's. Uh, but if uh, the thing about the Academy Awards, of course, it's business, and so when something is nominated, it gets bigger money, it gets more money, and if something wins, more people go see it, and uh, obviously that's going to happen this weekend with Moonlight, and I think that's really really cool. Um, did you uh, <clears throat> did you hear about the theater in London that uh, played a bit of a prank on people seeing uh, Moonlight? They showed the opening of La La Land. No, really? Yeah. Um, because of this? Wow. Yeah, I I thought that was kind of funny. They they all they were all, they all took it in stride, I hope. <laughs> I I hope so, yeah. So, okay. We got uh we got a couple minutes, but yeah, they're you know, really happy for Viola Davis, really happy for Mahershala Ali. Mm-hmm. Now we now we know how to say his name correctly. <laughs> um but yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's fun to tell Right Wing Radio a film involving homosexual matters won Best Picture, and a film from Iran won Best Foreign Film. <laughs> I'm afraid you're going to have to deal with it. Um, okay, uh, and and I know I thought of Chris Lloyd during Best Documentary Feature. Mm. Maybe next year we'll see. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's there's plenty of films out there. Go see a good movie. You deserve it, ladies and gentlemen. Here here are some words to live by. Silent breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. Sam Watermeyer, thanks again for hanging out. Oh, thank you. I'll hopefully see you at some screenings now that my play is up and running. So Yeah, definitely. You can go see a game show at Scottish Rite Cathedral tonight at 7.30 p.m. and next Friday and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. with an additional 3 p.m. matinee at Scottish Rite Cathedral in downtown Indy, 317-262-3100 for more information. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. Logan, get out. The Oscar winners. You can't say there's nothing to see. 
we just don't accept that. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. Michigan.